Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Berkeley Center for Law and Technology's Expert Series podcast. I'm Wayne Stacy, the Executive Director for BCLT, and with me today is Michael Smith, one of the nation's leading experts on federal court practice in Texas. He's well known for his blog, edtexweblog.com, but Michael knows all of Texas, not just the Eastern District. He's appeared in approximately a thousand civil cases in Texas, been instrumental in drafting local rules, and has been the editor of O'Connor's Federal Rules of Civil Trials, I think since 1998. Michael, uh, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me, Wayne. I'm, I'm really glad to be here. Well, Michael, um, I want to just walk through Texas as a whole. Um, I know, like you said, you're, you're more than the Eastern District of Texas, and people need to know that. So why don't you catch us up on what happened in Texas last week? Well, uh, probably the biggest thing that's going on in the um, IP litigation front uh, in the last few days is we're all getting ready to head to Fort Worth uh, tomorrow evening for the planning for the annual Eastern District Bench Bar. Uh, we're having a planning meeting tomorrow night, uh, actually Friday morning, but having a dinner tomorrow night. And here's the amazing thing. We're expecting 112 people live at the dinner and 120 people at the planning meeting. So we, we think people are really looking forward to getting out of their offices and coming down and having some good food and getting to socialize after a, a, a long time away in the pandemic. Well, anything happening in the, the local courthouses last week? Yeah, there was actually a very interesting order we actually got earlier this week. Um, Magistrate Judge Roy Payne and Marshall denied an emergency motion that was alleging discovery violations in a patent case for failure to comply with the district's meet and confer requirement. That doesn't seem to happen often, does it? Uh, no, it doesn't happen often. Uh, I mean, we frequently kind of uh, disagree about whether a motion was filed when it should have been and should you have met and conferred longer. But the odd thing about this was that the in this case, the plaintiff was certifying that the defendants had refused to meet and confer completely and filed the motion. So there was no certi no conference at all. Now, the, the interesting thing was the defendants filed a sworn declaration saying they'd never gotten any request to meet and confer. And what's a little unusual is the court ordered supplemental briefing on what was the basis that there was a refusal. And the plaintiff produced an email that the defendants had declined to request to meet and confer on something uh, on another issue and said, well, we assume that the refusal was going to extend to anything else they might raise. So, Judge Payne went through what the rule said about good faith, but he then denied the motion completely because there hadn't been compliance with the rule. So kind of two questions for you here. One, that seems to be not uh, consistent with the way Texas practice is supposed to go with collegiality. Well, it, it it was. It was close to the deadline for meet and confer, but it was uh, startling uh, th that the motion was filed and there was just the, the statement, there was a refusal to meet and confer when the defense lawyers all find a, all filed a declaration, all signing it saying nobody ever asked to meet and confer on this. Well, it seems like judge Payne was, took it in relatively good humor compared to how he could have reacted to this type of kind of money wasting procedure. 
Well, he he could have. He certainly could have approached it differently. Uh, He addressed it with, it was a relatively short order that just simply said that I'm denying the motion because there hasn't been compliance with the rule requiring a meet and confer before you come to the court on a discovery motion. Now, was that denial with or without prejudice? Now, that's the key. What was important here is that I, in a lot of cases, the court will say denied Go back and meet and confer. This is without prejudice to refiling. That language wasn't here. The denial was not without prejudice. So the plaintiff lost the substantive motion for failure to comply with the meet and confer requirement. And that is going to get people's attention. So a lot of us are going to be studying that opinion and making sure that we don't find ourselves in that same position in the future, uh, which is a, a healthy reminder that you have to take the meet and confer requirement seriously. Well, moving to it seems the most popular topic for the the summer, uh, COVID. What's what's going on in Texas right now with regard to the courts and COVID? Well, what's going on is different depending on which courthouse you're in and which district you're in. Some districts, the uh, courthouses are still closed. Uh, most of the courts I practice in, the court the courts are open, but the procedures are changing uh, constantly. So, for example, in in Sherman. I had a trial in April, and we were all fully masked, had all the usual protocols. By May, Judge Mazant let the jury vote on whether to require people in the courtroom to wear masks. He told them, you'll be the one that decides how this case comes out, so I think it's fair for you to decide whether we are going, whether those the people in the courtroom who have been vaccinated are required to wear masks or not. So how did the, the jury vote? Well, the jury voted that uh, people in the courtroom who had been vaccinated could not wear masks if they didn't want to. But what was interesting was that right after the judge read that result to us, we looked over at the jury and all but one of the jurors were still wearing masks. So at that point, the two trial tables had to make the decision, well, are we going to take our masks off or are we going to reflect what the jury is doing uh, and and continue to mask. So what what choice did, did you make? Well, we had two different choices. I was at the, the table closest to the jury box, and we decided we keep our masks on all two weeks during the trial. The other table all took their masks off all th- during the two weeks of the trial. And how did masking work out for you or not masking work out for the other side? Well, we got a $2 million verdict, so I think it worked out okay. I I can't credit it for that, but it is an example of how you have to be um, alert to what people's sensitivities are. And if they're not comfortable going without a mask, then then we felt like we needed to, to show respect for that decision as much as we could. So we'd mask when we came in downstairs because that was the courtroom's requirement, and then we'd take it off. When we were in the courtroom and the jury wasn't there, but when the jury was in, we masked back up. Well, how does that that compare to, for example, Marshall? Uh, Similar. Marshall, I I had a trial in April. It was full masking. When we did jury selection, Judge Gilstrap only allowed three people at council table for each side. Everyone else was downstairs watching a live video feed on a big screen monitor, which was actually kind of cool. Um, but it's continued to loosen up. And actually about two weeks ago, Judge Gilstrap withdrew the mandatory masking order in Marshall. The Sherman judges had done it a few weeks previously. 
Um, so at present, we haven't been wearing masks from the courtroom in Marshall for the last month or so, I think. What do you anticipate happening now that the CDC is changing its regulations? Uh, I don't know whether we'll we'll keep an eye out for that and have to see what they're going to do. I don't anticipate that we'll see additional orders from the court, but I don't know that. We're just going to have to be alert to uh, what are the courts putting out. And to, and for that, you need to look at a courthouse by courthouse basis because it depends on where you are. One of the things that the CDC pointed out is it depends on where you are, whether you need to mask. We have an area in north northwestern Louisiana, Shreveport, close to Marshall, that, it, that has a lot of unvaccinated people and there's a lot of risk. So it may be that Marshall feels the need to go back to adding some restrictions whereby in Tyler, perhaps you don't need it. But we're just going to have to stay alert to it. Well, what's the, the mood in Marshall overall these days with regard to COVID and masking? Overall, um, uh, most things are, uh, there's not a lot of masking anymore. Um, uh, most places are open. The one place that is not open, irritatingly, you go to Bodacious Barbecue and you've got to go through the drive-thru uh, to get barbecue because they have not reopened their dining room. Now, I know that wouldn't matter to you because when you come down here for trial, you get this bizarre barbecue I've never seen and don't eat our local stuff. Like I said, I grew up in the, the panhandle of Texas. I have my own own style of, of Texas barbecue. So, well, Korean, Mongolian. We had two nights in a row where I couldn't eat the food you were bringing into the trial team because I didn't recognize it. You assume I have the power to make the decision to order. So, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, I, w I was surprised what they had available in Tyler. I mean, Dallas I could see, but but Tyler had a lot more barbecue options than I had expected. Well, it's a, it's a perfect transition to, to Dallas. Uh, what's what's going on in the Northern District these days? Well, well uh, for the types of cases we're interested in, uh, not a lot. And that's because uh, a few earlier this month, the 2011 Patent Pilot Court's legislation sunsetted. And the Northern District had been using that to assign patent cases to just three judges that had opted in, Judge Lynn, Judge Godby, and Judge Kincaid. Uh, as a result of that sunset, Chief Judge Lynn entered an order that put all the judges back in the rotation uh, for filings. So how many cases are you, you seeing in the Northern District now? Uh, not many. Uh, there actually has not been a case filed in the Northern District since the uh, program sunsetted. They, they had been getting three to five patent cases a month before that, uh, and 30 of the 32 this year were in Dallas. But since the program sunsetted, not a single, uh, it, it has kneecapped their filings. Not a single plaintiff has filed there, which is a shame because they've got good, um, judges there. They've got a well-developed patent bar. We've even got one of those drive-through patent offices that Congress set up. You know, you get a Whataburger coupon with every uh, utility patent, or I'm not sure exactly how that works there. Well, so let me ask you, are people voting against the Northern District of Texas, or are they just happening to go to, to Waco or, or the Western District of Texas instead? Well, they were still filing in the Northern District in ballpark the same numbers before this change. Uh, so, so you still saw cases being filed there. Uh, but since the, 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 there's no longer any certainty who you're going to get, 
The rest of the judges in the district have not had patent cases for the last 10 years. There are a lot of new cases. And one thing we all we all know is you really like having judges that have experience dealing with these kind of cases. If I know I'm going to be in front of Judge Lynn, great. I know she knows uh, what the important issues are. But if you don't know whether you're going to have a judge with expertise, uh, you tend to look for another court where, where that expertise is present. So you said something there that was kind of interesting that it's been 10 years since any of the other judges besides the patent pilot judges have had patent cases in the Northern right. District. The, the, uh, the, the order assigning the, ju- the, the patent cases or opting in for those three judges was 10 years ago. So for the last 10 years, judges didn't have to hear those cases. They just funneled them over to those three judges. So they built up a lot of expertise, and now that expertise is kind of going to waste because uh, you can't file a case and know that's, that's who you're going to get. Do you anticipate any changes in filing in the next 12 months? No, I, I would kind of not with respect to the Northern District, I, I, unless there is a judge that expresses an interest that's in a smaller division, I don't really see cases going back there. Uh, it's, it's just you've really got to be willing to brave the assignment wheel. And for complex cases, it's just hard to explain to a client that I decided to just play roulette with your case. Well, compare that to what happens down in the the Southern District, kind of the Dallas versus Houston mentalities. Well, the Southern District had has about the same number of filings. They've only had twenty seven this year. They are not a patent pilot court program, so you don't have that change. Now, you still only have one filing so far this month in the Southern District, so it's not a large number. But they at least people who file in the Southern District never got used, never had to look at well, we're only going to get these three judges. So uh, they're used to the uh, the rotation. They also, th- some of the Southern District cases are cases that we've seen recently as a result of federal circuit decisions are transferred out of the Western District of Texas. So those Southern District cases may not always reflect a plaintiff's choice to file there. It may reflect a defendant's choice to try to get a case transferred out of Waco. And recently, some of those have been successful. Well, that, that takes us right to the, the Western District. Uh, tell us what's going on there right now. Well, there's uh, uh, since we're talking about filings, the Western District has got 543 filings so far this year, and almost all of those are in Waco. But the big news in Waco this week uh, is that they got approval for their magistrate judge position. I thought they already had a magistrate. Well, they do. They've got Judge Mansky. What's important about this is they got approval for a second magistrate judge position, which is we widely, we're pretty sure that's going to be primarily an aid to Judge Albright in managing all the patent cases there. So they've posted applications for that. So anyone that's interested in a magistrate position in Waco working patent cases, uh, you're right down the street from the silos. You can go to Magnolia whenever you want. Uh, but that position is expected to come through early next year, and then that will give Judge Albright a lot of resources for, uh, we expect, and he's told us previously, that position's going to be handling discovery disputes and a lot of pretrial issues. Well, Michael, can you kind of give us the, the, 
the overall view of how many cases are, are going into the Western District of Texas now and how that compares to the Eastern District? Sure. The uh, Waco right now is number one in the country in terms of patent filings. So far, they've got over 540 cases for the year in the district, and all but a handful are in Waco. Now, to, for comparison purposes, the second highest number of filings is Delaware with 483, and then the Eastern District is third of Texas is third with 261. Now, by comparison, all four California federal districts are combined uh, for 260 cases so far this year. So Waco is up to, I think in the ballpark, about 25% of all patent cases in the country so far this year. So Judge Albright by himself has more patent cases than the, all the judges in the state of California? That would be correct. <laughs> it's, it's, okay. it's an interesting place. They've had to come up with some interesting procedures uh, there, and uh, uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about some of those procedures and how they're changing. We have a meeting of, of Judge Albright's Patent Rules Advisory Committee later next month, so we'll see how things are going there and if the court is seeing additional uh, need for rule changes or, or procedure changes. Well, it sounds like one thing's for sure. This uh, new magistrate's going to be busy. <laughs> I think that's absolutely correct. Perfect. Well, Michael, it was great to, to talk with you again, and then we'll catch up with you next week and see what cases are coming out that people need to know about. All right. Well, I look forward to it. Thank you for having me. Perfect. Take care, Michael. You too.